as I said, I started to run three or four weeks before and I just had so much gratitude. I, it just pure, unalloyed delight that I could run. And I just wanted to run. I wanted to forced gump. I wanted to run all day. I wanted to run everywhere. I wanted to run fast. I had three or four workouts leading into Boston that were the fastest workouts of my life. And I had been deprived of running and I was rediscovering the possibility. And I can't even really describe the feeling that I have right now today running or that I was feeling those three or four weeks, but I stepped on Boston's or into the corral with confidence that I was whole, with a calmness that I didn't have anything to prove and just overwhelming gratitude. And that's kind of powerful stuff. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 84 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. In February of 2021, Heather Peck tore a portion of her plantar fascia, and it took until September 2021 before she could run again. It was a physically and emotionally exhausting journey. It was a year and a half since her last race and three years since she towed the line at Boston. I started to run three or four weeks before and just had so much gratitude, pure unalloyed delight that I could run. I wanted to Forrest Gump. I wanted to run all day, everywhere, fast. I ran three or four workouts leading into Boston that were the fastest of my life. I'd been deprived of running and was rediscovering the possibility. I stepped into the Boston Corral with confidence I was whole, calmness that I didn't have anything to prove, overwhelming gratitude, and hope from a conversation with Coach James McCurdy. And that's kind of powerful stuff. Heather ran 303.47 this year at 60, setting the age group course record, breaking the GOAT Joan Benoit Samuelson's previous mark. Her age grade score is 99.88% which equates to a 2.15 marathon. Mind officially blown. Heather is now a four-time Boston Marathon Age Division winner. We discuss the influence of her dad, how he's still out there racing with her, how she can feel his presence and see him fly by on runs. The role Heather's family plays, what it means to have them out there on the course in Boston supporting. Her team that keeps her healthy. How getting coached by James McCurdy has freed her up as an athlete to be her best. The advice she gives to her athletes and how they kept her going when she was sidelined with injury. Anything is possible if you commit, if you are relentless in the pursuit. We limit ourselves. If you think about who you want to be and take action, make choices, stay curious and fearless, and are open to the possibilities, well, then we can truly find our best. Nutrition, fueling, how making big changes with Jen Yukan has been a game changer. What's next? Chasing more American records and world records. I'm so inspired by Heather's running journey and all the great nuggets she shared. I hope you all enjoy this convo as much as we did. So let's dive on in and take a listen.
Good afternoon, Heather Peck. Welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. I'm so excited to have you here with me. I'm excited to be here, Ron. Wow, this is this has been long in the making. I've been watching you on the Masters running scene, seeing you just absolutely throw down and, and have some incredible results as a Masters runner. So you've been at the top of my list of people I wanted to have a conversation with. And uh, let's just start with a little lead in for anybody that doesn't know this, if they somehow missed it coming off Boston, because um, Sunday was 20 days apart. So we're just three weeks past Boston, but Heather ran 303 in Boston, beat the all-time GOAT, Joan Benoit Samuelson's record in Boston. Um, it was her fourth time being first age group in Boston, which is obviously an incredible accomplishment, beyond incredible as a master's runner, particularly for somebody who did not grow up in the sport, somebody who was not killing it at the division one level in college. So, I mean, that is just remarkable stuff. And uh, the fact that you also had a couple of years injury between your first three years winning your age group into that one had to make it that much sweeter, right? It did. It did. Yeah. And so your your first three, was it 2017, 18, and 19? Were they three years in a row? So you had three years in a row. And tell everybody a little, you know, look, every one of us goes through injuries. None of us can compete at this level and run fast times, you know, whether we're in our 20s or 40s or in our 60s um, without running into some bumps in the road, having some injury issues. So what what was the issue that kept you, you know, on the sidelines a little bit? And let's just talk through a little bit about that, because I know that you had some things in there that really helped you um, when you were struggling, some people that you reached out to and made some communications with. Um. Well, I don't know that I'd say it sidelined me a little bit. I think I might correct that. Um, I was deprived of running for almost seven months. Um, and somebody who had been running um, every day since 2003, um, that, was, that, was, uh, that was hard. <laughs> so it was, um, it was plantar fasciitis, PF. Um, that sidelined me. It began in September of 2019, and we sort of managed it um, through that fall. Um, and I'd say we managed it well because I I ran the fastest times of my life across 5K, 10K, half marathon distance during that time. Um, but it was there. It you know it was there the whole time, and um, and. I, I don't know how much detail you want to go into, but coming off of the trials for miles half marathon, um, it it got progressively worse, and then actually it sort of went away, and then my hamstring acted up. I took some time off around the holidays, and then started running again after about ten days, and um, in February just was on an easy run running along with a group of people and what, what was happening with the, with the PF was I, I would run one to two miles and it would sort of, I, it, what I thought was it was sort of stretching itself out and it, the, the, the pain would become soreness and would somewhat dissipate. Um, and at times I didn't feel it at all. For instance, in the half marathon in November, I never felt it at all that day, but traditionally from September, starting in September, I would feel it the first couple of miles. And so I was on this run in February and I, and I felt it the first couple of miles and we were, we were running maybe seven thirties and down. I, I don't know why we, we were 
down in row eight and coming around the point there and mile three, mile four, I was still feeling it. And I thought, oh, that's strange. I usually, you know, don't feel it at this point. Um, and um, we were starting to climb back, back out. I say up because we, we sort of run down. It's a false down and then a false up. Um, and mile five, in mile five, the pain started to escalate pretty abruptly, not I, I, abruptly maybe is the wrong word, but it was escalating with a, with a, with a definite rhythm pattern. It was not, it, and, and to the point where I stopped talking and I, I have a tendency to chat a lot as I'm running along. And, um, so the group noticed, but they didn't, they actually said they didn't notice anything in my gait or anything. They sort of looked at, you know, whatever. And, um, I was actually biting on my tongue and my lip to the point where it was bleeding, um, and the pain got so bad that I did stop before we got back into town. Um, and once I stopped, I dropped to my knees and I could not walk. So clearly I had torn some, but I, at the time I didn't know. I, and I crawled in my car and I drove home and I went upstairs to the gym and I got my crutches out, which I had for my hamstring in 2018. And hobbled myself back to the car and directly to my PT. Um, and um, he got me into the head guy at HSS the next day. And, um, and, and then it's a very long story from there that I sure we'll get into. But anyway, um, that was the beginning of now. I didn't run again really until October. Wow. That's uh, that's tough. Sorry. I didn't realize it was that extreme for you. Um, I knew you maybe weren't racing, but you know, sometimes we we're taking a break, we're healing up, um, and just, you know, managing our way through a situation and didn't realize it was that extreme and caused that much, uh, of an issue for you. Thankfully, you were able to get some treatment from your PT, got connected with HSS, who's the best of the best, um, as far as sports docs goes and, you know, diagnosing and, you know, getting in for films and whatever else it might be. Um, it's interesting. It didn't bother you at Rockland. Um, cause that was a cool event. It was super, um, awesome. You were going for the world record, um, as a master's runner and you're running against all the super fast, like 20 year olds and, you know, maybe, maybe some 30 year olds mixed in there too, but you know, there you are out there mixing it up with them. And the, the guys were crazy fast too. What was, what was that event like? Was it super fun? I, it was super intimidating. <laughs> I was with, I think there might've been one or two 30 year olds, but I, there were, tw there were 25 of us and there were 23, 20 year olds for sure. Um, and, uh, fast, fast as fuck. I mean, they went off and, you know, I mean, I, 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 yeah, I watch, I'm friendly with some of them. I, I stand in awe and bow to them. They're incredible. And I basically never saw them after 800 meters. <laughs> so they were gone. Um, so it was, a, it was a lonely run. Um, it, it, it was great. It was a little warm. Um, and, um, you know, I think my heart rate sort of flatlined. I, it felt very hard off the start and my training had been, my training had been super good. As I said, that fall, I ran my fastest times and I can't complain. I ran a two and a half minute PR that day, but I obviously fell short of the, short of the goal. I was training for a marathon. I had run 85 miles that week. I'd had some massive workouts and this race just sort of came up and we just jumped at it. So it's, I, I wasn't tapered into it. So there, there are probably some reasons on, um, you know, certainly James and I have sort of, you know, drilled down on it that, that I didn't hit what the target was, but, um, 
you know, it, it was a good day. I had a great run. It's a super course trials of miles that the, the group there is incredible. And what they did during COVID to keep us all racing was remarkable. And we're all grateful on, um, you know, for what they do and, and Rockland and the team at Rockland, you know, keeps events going, you know, in COVID and out of COVID and they're a great group to wor- work with. We ran a McCurdy, we ran two McCurdy micro marathons there on great flat course. Um, but it was 60 degrees and, you know, 90% humidity in the third week in November in new England, go figure. <laughs> so it was a little warm. Yeah. Those, those are not ideal conditions. Um, but yeah, trials and miles, big shout out to them. Um, they did a terrific job. Um, and all over the board, pure track stuff, shorter track stuff. Um, they even did some cross country events and the longer stuff. So they really spread it out. Um, it kept the energy levels high when people had so many races canceling due to COVID. Um, so just super amazing the work they did, putting fields together and, you know, keeping the hype up for running. But I'll bet you learned some stuff about yourself that day because that's tough. I mean, that is seriously tough to be in that mix with only 20 year olds, maybe a handful of 30 years old, and they're taking off. And like you said, you're on your own from 800. Um, what kind of, what kind of takeaways did you have? Because obviously you still ran a two and a half minute PR. You can't like poo poo that. That's a huge win. You didn't get the record, but you still ran a great race. You ran 127, 24, right? Yeah. Um, no, it was a great day. It was, uh, it was, um, I run alone a lot. I do, I do most of my training. You know, I, I have a couple guys and some of the kids sometimes will go out with me, but they can't go the distance. Um, so I do a lot on my own. So to be on my own alone, wasn't, I mean, it's not ideal when you're trying to, to hit a time, um, because it just can help if you're racing. I, I think it can help. I know it can help me get onto the edge a little bit firmer, if you will. You know, I have a tendency to sort of dance around and tiptoe onto the edge. Um, and I need to lean in and, and step hard on it. And, and, you know, I, I, 10 miles was, 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 was good and was really what I'd call solid. And I was pretty happy with, and I actually would have taken an American record for 10 miles that day, but that last lap just was long, lonely, hot, um, and, um, you know, tough, but that's okay. That's like, that's what, that's what we love to do. Right. Hell yeah. It's okay, man. That's where you find out how gritty you can be. Um, because when it does start to ease off the rails and it's not exactly where we were and we're not in that spot, we're not in that zone. We're not feeling it. Like I'm going to close this motherfucker down. I'm going to do what I came here to do. There are, we, we're not always going to feel that way. We're not always going to feel strong, our strongest and have what it takes to just rally and push even when we're alone. So on those days to me, I think we learned some of our biggest lessons, man. When you stay in there and you battle and you grind and the podcast mantra, stay in the fight, man. Hell yeah, you had to stay in the fight. You're running solo. Yeah, um, yeah. You have to lean, you, you you have to lean in a little bit more. Um, you don't have the adrenaline of, yeah, I'm going to do this, um, which I definitely had, you know, at Boston this year. Um, but you don't, yeah, you're just... You're, you're, you're leaning into it and you're bearing down and you're gritting and grinding, um, and seeing what you've got and you're kind of hoping you're, you can hold on. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. A little bit of hope in there. Yeah. We need, we need that hope. 
Um, but compare and contrast. So like Indy is your best marathon. You ran three hours and that's 2019 also, right? Yep. Um, and then obviously 303 in Boston, your huge comeback, um, breaking Joni's record. Um, you talked about being competitive, you know, being out there on the course, having people to work with or work off of. How was it different out there in Indy or Boston comparatively? Because it can't be any more different as a race. It's a small group of competitors. You're running around a lake. Like you said, you're by yourself. You don't have anybody to work off of or try to get back to. How was it in Indy or Boston comparatively, like to work with other runners and try to get and close gaps down and keep yourself really working? Well, I think it's definitely easier to be working, you know, with people on, you know, some people refer to it as go fish. I call it bingo. Um, But, you know, if you can play with, um, you know, again, for, for, you know, the elites are out there racing each other. The rest of us are, are racing perfect strangers, racing the clock, racing ourselves, racing our best, which I think is the glory of running and, and what we love to do, but it, it, you can be pushed. You can push yourself. You can, you can advance, you know, if you have people around you that you're measuring, you know, yourself against. Um, and, um, it, it definitely at Rockland, I was alone, but, you know, I, I, I run Beacon street chasing, you know, chasing the yellow shirt and then chasing the pink shirt and then chasing the black one and, you know, playing a bit of bingo. So I like it. Real people in, like you said, fishing, whatever we, we all have our own terms for it, but it's just such an important spot for us mentally when we get late into that race and I always feel like once we climb heartbreak and it levels off at the top of BC and then we get the bomb down at the Cleveland Circle, if you got anything left in your legs, man, you can get a lot of people over that stretch. Um, yeah, you, said, you should get a lot of people over that stretch. If you have if you're not getting a lot of people, you ran wrong at Boston. Yeah. And you had your you had your family out there, right? On on, yeah. you know, late in the race. I mean, what was that like for you this year? Because I mean, this is a big comeback. I mean, it's been three years. You know, you're out there and you're having a great day. What was it like to see them out there late in the race? What was that? What was that feeling like? Well, it's. I mean, I raced Boston um, very intentionally. I know the course really well. I've run it since 2011. Um, you know, until COVID and injury. But um, I, my my girls all went to school in Boston. Um, two of them live there now. I train on the course. On, um, you know. Um, I don't know how many times Ron during the year, but I certainly am up on that course two to three times a month leading into Boston. So I know the course, I know where the time is. I know, I know, you know, how, how to run it. So this year, you know, oh, there were so many variables this year. It's so hard to even talk about. And there's a lot I don't remember because I just started it. it. What I do remember is looking at my watch at the 10 K and having this feeling that I knew what that record was and I had wanted it for, for a long time. And I obviously didn't, couldn't run it in 2020 because it didn't run. And in 2021, because I was injured. So I had sat on that for a long time for, you know, and, um, the, my training had not been going well and my return from injury had been a little fractured at best. And, so I had, you know, determined that I was going to come back and 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 run because I was strong enough to run. There was no reason not to, but I really had only started clicking in workouts three or four weeks before the race. 
So I was running with a lot of gratitude. I knew I was running strong, but I, in my mind, I, I was already onto the fall and I sort of had put Joni's 304 on next year, which is kind of uncharacteristic of me, but I can be a realist. Um, and I, anyway, back to the, what I started to say was I looked at my watch at the 10K and I had that moment of, well, why wait till next year? It looks like maybe. <laughs> um, and then I just put my head down and I, and, I, and I was racing. So I missed a lot of Boston where normally I, you know, you know, in Wellesley, you know, I have certain, you know, my sister is usually there. She wasn't there, but I have these sort of points on the course and I make the turn at the firehouse and it's three and a half miles to buggy to BC. And that's where she went to school. And then, you know, I have, you know, three miles till, you know, BU. And then I have 800 meters to the MIT group and then, you know, whatever. And so I have my girls along the course. And and then my husband is, is traditionally on Commonwealth before the ride on Hereford. And this year they were all there. Um, but I still sort of view them, you know, along the course at BCBU and MIT. I mean, what's wonderful about Boston, a lot of people talk about Wellesley, but, you know, all the schools are out on that course. Um, and they're, they're just, they're insane, those kids. And they're so great. I mean, I, to me, there's, there's nothing like passing those schools along the way. And, you know, and Babson's out there and Northeastern's out there and, you know, Harvard, Harvard's there. They're all there. They're all off. They're all, you know, partying, having a great time and, and so forth. But um, I, I missed a lot of that this year just because I was just, I was racing. Um, and, um, I came over BC and, um, then I just really knew I had to be smart on beacon and not, you know, not, not do anything, you know, where you might blow up <laughs> a lot of casualties run on beacon. If you look to the right or the left along there, there's a lot, there's a lot of people on the side of the road. Um, so, um, just was trying to be a little bit cautious on, you know, was feeling the wind at that point. We had a headwind that day, pretty much the whole way. Um, and it was warm. Sun was, was pounding on us. Um, so just trying to be smart and, and, um, and knowing I just had to, I just had to get to my family and, um, threw my handheld at them, told them, I don't do this without you and charged for 800 meters at that point. Love it. I love when the runners take us out there, man. That's, that's the best. Um, cause that's, uh, every section of the course, all the schools, your family, your kids, um, everything that's personal to you, everything that matters. Um, and also interesting, um, when you set out on this run in your mind, you kind of had already pushed it away. Um, very similar to Des, you know, in her year going back for Shalane and thinking, Hey, it's not my day. I'm not feeling it. You know, I might drop, um, and that's been discussed ad infinitum, but there's just so much there because when we take that pressure off of ourselves, and it, it, maybe that isn't even the right word, but when we just mentally like almost give ourselves an out, like I, I don't have to actually finish this race or this isn't a PR day, it's okay. I'm actually gonna help Shalane or I'm actually not running for Joni's record today. That's next year. And then you get to 10K and say, well, wait a minute. 
you know, I'm going to mix it up, man. I'm going to, I'm going to get in here and start to, and start to grind and let's see what happens. Like, you know, in some ways you might've freed yourself up a little. I mean, it had been such a battle back from injury, you know, to just get healthy again. And, uh, you know, there it is, you know, maybe you just freed yourself up a little. What do you think about that? I definitely think there's something there. I mean, trials for miles, um, you know, I, I, I've said this, I don't know if I've said it publicly, but um, J- James, my coach, James McCurdy, li- likes to talk a lot publicly. Um, and he was talking a lot going into trials for my, I just felt a lot of pressure that day. And then of course I arrived and, you know, everybody there that I, is not, o- not only fast, but they're my, they're my, they're my girl, they're my children's age. I'm their mother. <laughs> Um, and, um, and, and some of them are wonderful and some of them are, you know, girls that, you know, Ron, and, and, and I've become friendly with them, but, and, and, you know, and, and they, they're, they're adorable and they can't believe I'm doing what I'm doing. And they want to do that at, you know, when they get to be my age, which is, you know, wonderful. And, um, you know, I have so much gratitude for, for having them, you know, even acknowledge what I do, but, um, or even recognize who I am, but, um, yes. So there was a lot going on. There were a lot of cameras. There was a lot of talk. There were interviews and, and yes, there was pressure. And I asked James, um, in January or February, at, which, at which point I will, I was really not thinking I was going to be running Boston or it was, a, it was a long shot at best at that point. But I said, I didn't need to make the decision until, that weekend or the morning of, you know, it's not, it's not, it wasn't a decision I had to make. Um, but I asked him to not talk about my running or that I was going to race or not race or anything. And he honored that and, and stayed quiet. And I didn't, I don't post a lot. I don't post my runs and my workouts and, um, I'm not, I'm, I disconnected my watch to Strava in 2020. Um, I just, um, I don't know. There's more, to, there's more, there's more to me than that. Um, and I don't think that that defines me. I think it's a part of me. Um, and I'm happy to share it with anybody who wants to be bored by it, but I don't feel the need to put my workout up or my watch every day or so forth. So there was nothing going into Boston about me, um, which was, really nice. I was under the radar and I was just focused on. And as I said, I started to run three or four weeks before, and I just had so much gratitude. I just pure unalloyed delight that I could run. And I just wanted to run. I wanted to forced gump. I wanted to run all day. I wanted to run everywhere. I wanted to run fast. I said to James, you might have to put a choke collar on me. I was worried about, I was, I had, I had three or four workouts leading into Boston that were the fastest workouts of my life, not of this build. And I had been deprived of running and I was rediscovering the possibility. And I, I I can't even really describe the feeling that I have right now today running or that I was feeling those three or four weeks, but I stepped on Boston's or into the corral with confidence that I was whole um, with a calmness that I didn't have anything to prove. And 
uh, fearlessness that I think I oh that's somewhat in me and um, and just overwhelming gratitude. And um, James and I had a conversation on Saturday that gave me just a little tiny piece of hope that I was running with. And that's, that's kind of powerful stuff. <laughs> Hell yeah. There's, there's a lot in there to dig into. Um, so pressure's taken off. Um, you're not a big social person. That's We don't have to be. I mean, some of us live for it and love it. I do. I like to share my, not only my travel adventures, my foodie stuff, um, being on the planes and all of it, because look, my life's different. My son's graduated college. But in your case, you remind me so much of, we talked talk before coming on, my good friend, Kate Powerty, who's just an amazing runner. Um, and she's as old school as they come. She's never used Strava. She's a logbook yeah. queen. Yeah. Um, so yeah. you're queen of the night. She's queen of the logbook and, and old school, but, not but sharing her paces. There, it's not that I'm not on there, but I'm on there. I'm on, I'm on social media as predominantly as a coach. Um, and, and, you know, certainly during the year of my injury, the, the coaching, um, and my athletes and, um, my, my cheerleading and, um, you know, and, and certainly being, you know, a mother and some of the other, you know, roles that I have in my life were on um, what got me through, you know, some really, really dark times, but that's, that's, that's a really big piece of who I am. Um, and it's a really, it's a really good piece of who I am. And, um, I listen, I, I desperately missed competing and being an athlete and was not happy that that piece wasn't in the mix, believe me. But I had enough of the other and the other filled, you know, was able to fill me up. And that's the part of me that's on social media. I'm cheer, cheerleading and, and leading on at, I hope not just my athletes, but anybody, everybody to, to want to find their best, to be curious what, 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 what might, what the possibilities are and to maybe try to discover them. So. Yeah. I love it. To explore boundaries and not be afraid, not be afraid to fail, um, to try and push up against the edge. Um, sometimes we get injured going that route, but sometimes we find we have another gear. We have more than we even suspect that we're capable of. And, um, the gratitude that you talked about running with that day, that's that's cumulative of all the other athletes you're working with when you couldn't do your own runs, when you couldn't fulfill and get that good vibe and good energy from your own runs and your own workouts. You were helping your other athletes accomplish their own goals and do what they could as you like worked on the injury piece and tried to solve it and getting, you know, running trials of miles. The way you describe it, it's like, ah, you know, you know, it's a great event. You know, you're excited to be there, but hell, like you said, you're running against college kids for Christ's sakes. I mean, I know what you speak of. It'd be like me running against my son and all his friends. That's exactly what it was like for you. And you showed up and, you know, you, you were building, you weren't there yet at that point. Cause you were still what, probably three weeks out from Boston at that point where you, um, when trials and miles took place or how far apart was that? No, I was out for that was during COVID, and I was I was actually training for a marathon in Arizona. Oh, okay. That was that was 
let me think about this now. I was about five weeks out from that marathon, give or take, not looking at a calendar, but something like, as I said, I ran, I ran, you know, I ran 85 miles that week. It's not like I tapered into that half marathon or anything. Yeah. So you weren't, you weren't fresh, but, you know, going back to Boston, um, you know, getting out there on the course that day, you know, without the pressure, you know, without expectations, not going forward and piling that all on your shoulders, your head, or having James talk about it, or maybe even other athletes on the team, you know, you, you were free to just run and you were healthy. You talked about, you know, like you're bursting on runs. Um, you know, the joy is there. It's obvious in your voice. Um, when you come back from that kind of injury uh, period where you're down that long, it can crush you. It can crush somebody's soul. It can take, you know, every fiber of you and you're on the canvas. And then when you get back up and you start running and you start feeling good, that's pretty powerful stuff. So that's where you were. I mean, you were completely taken out. You're on the sidelines, not getting to do what you love and are built for, you know, what you're made for. Um, and then you get healthy and you're building and you're getting stronger just leading into the race. And then it, it kind of just all came together. So I think that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's, listen, I'm not young. Uh, and it, it goes without saying that I wouldn't have chosen to, to lose, you know, a, a year plus. Um, and um, once my foot was whole, I had a lot of reactive stuff that was due to the fact that I wasn't moving for a long period of time and I was in a boot too long and crutches and, you know, so forth. So, um, you know, I, I guess I, I was really lucky that I was given the opportunity to race and train at a high level in 2020, which again, I credit, you know, James and McCurdy and trials for miles and whatever, because that work was vital to the growth that I, you know, my growth as an athlete and ultimately what I was able to bring back on or tap into, if you will, um, in the last few weeks leading into Boston. Good stuff. So you took us, you took us to 10 K and then you took us to the end and like major points along the way, but how much were you like now being aware, a little bit more aware, obviously you didn't set off on that journey thinking I'm going sub three Oh four. I want to get Joni's record. And let's just say, we talked about this before coming on. We both are, you know, massive, massive fans of Joni. I mean, she is the goat. She is the greatest. Um, she won the first women's marathon. She's crushed Boston. I mean, she's done it all in our sport. And um, there are a few people who have done more, contributed more to our sport, you know, than Joni. So at what point along the way in that race, are you starting to feel like, wow, like I got a shot? Or are you just literally not paying attention to your watch? You're just running by feel, you're grinding, you know, talk through that a little bit. I think, you know, after the 10K where I sort of said, okay, let's, let's go, let's see. Um the um then i was just you know running i mean boston is undulating you know you're running you you need to run smart through 16 um you need to run effort you really need to somewhat i don't want to say throw pace out the window i mean it it should be a guide but um it's you're you're not you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna be a metronome on Boston's course. It just um it's just not really the way to well it's not really the way to race it um and run it successfully. Um I came through the you know the hills. Um I, I try not to look at my watch on the climbs. Um I felt really I felt strong. I felt good. Um you know we can we can back up to a lot. Some of this has to do with you know figuring out nutrition and fueling too, Rod. So I felt good, you know, through the hills, 
Um, I was able to, you know, sort of throttle down on the on the downs, get back, you know, into the, you know, six six forties. Um, came up over Boston College. Um, and that's really when I looked at my watch and knew that that the sub three hundred four was there, and there was a sub three hundred two. You know, it was just a matter of you know how smart could I be at you know on Beacon, and I and I was feeling. You know, I can't say I wasn't feeling fatigued, but I wasn't feel I was feeling good. But when I would try to get back down to marathon pace on Beacon, it felt a little bit more like it was a little bit higher effort level than I should be running, such as it felt a little bit like threshold and not marathon pace. And I'm smart enough to know that that wasn't somewhere that I wanted to go. Certainly didn't want to go with four my, you know, beacons still got four miles to go. Um, so, you know, I hit, I hit six fifties, maybe on two of those. And then it was more like seven Oh five, you know, whatever. And I just needed, I just, I just needed to get to Fenway, you know, my dad called me, you know, the Red Sox church. I just needed to get to church. Um, and, you know, once you're there, then, you you know, then you're a mile out on um, and, um, you know, and then, I, then my family's there and, you know, um, you know, you can do anything for six minutes, right. <laughs> can, can push it down at that point. Um, but, um, I, I, I felt strong and I felt good for most of that race. Um, you know, the place that I, go back and look at his beacon. Could I have, you know, you know, had I had a little bit more under me, you know, meaning more than three or four weeks and I'd had a good solid 12 weeks or whatever, would I have been willing to step on the edge a little bit harder on beacon? I think I would have been, I think I was, I think I was a little, I was a little gun shy. Um, and I just, I just hadn't run in a really long time. I hadn't raced Boston in three years. I hadn't raced in over a year and a half. Um, and, um, you know, I, I don't want to say, guys, I, I feel like I have a lot of experience, but I feel like at, you know, at that point on beacon, I was, a you know, I was, I was just a little suspect at, at times and I was cautious for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think you were managing the race the way you needed to, um, based on where you were and where you were coming back from, how much time had elapsed and not being, uh, you know, competitively racing, at different distances, particularly the marathon, we don't know what's going to be there. And particularly when it's a shorter cycle, you don't have the long runs under your belt to give you the confidence. You don't have, you know, threshold workouts, longer stuff where you're pushing um, at marathon pace and faster at maybe even half marathon pace or 10K pace, like things that are going to impact you. We all have a favorite workout somewhere um, that we rely upon or segments or like you're talking about running on the Boston course. Um, so those things can give us the confidence that we need. Um, but I think you managed it brilliantly. Well, I certainly didn't have, you know, two or three 20 milers. I had, you know, a bunch of 16 and 18s. Um, and I didn't have, um, you know, I didn't have some of that, yeah, half marathon threshold, you know, sort of where I had, you know, traditionally you would throw a race or two maybe in, you know, I didn't do that, you know, sometime in January or February. Some, you know, even in March, although I think that's a little close to Boston, but, you know, maybe early March, um, you know, I, I didn't I didn't have any of that. So, you know, it was just sort of, you know, and I definitely felt the wind starting, you know. Really about mile 16, 17, I think the place I noticed it the most um, 
or at least where it caught my attention was I felt it in the downhills, which are, are, you know, in the Newton Hills, you're protected on the downhills. So that sort of it, that, that caught my attention, definitely. And by the time you're coming over, you know, Boston and dropping down into Cleveland Circle and, and, and along Beacon, it, it, it was straight up and it was building at that point, you know, and people who started, you know, in the, you know, second and second wave and the third wave on um, had more of it because it built. And if you saw Monday night's weather, you know, Monday night's weather was close to 2018. So we were about six or eight hours off of, you know, not, not the kind of day we had. So, um, you know, I mean, it was, it was, you know, it was blowing 10 and gusting 15, you know, as the afternoon went along. All that makes such a difference. Um, before we get into fueling, cause I know it's been a big piece of you dialing your success in and continuing to get faster and stronger and improve. I just want to talk about your dad a little bit. So, you know, I know he's a huge figure in your life um, and somebody who you looked up to, admired, um, you know, respected enormously, get a lot of your drive and ambition and who you are as a person, you know, from him, you know, just knowing, listening to other interviews, reading articles that you've uh, been, have written, been, written about you in Runner's World and other places like that. When you're out there on a day like that, do you talk to him? Do you see him? Do you feel his presence? I'm on a day like that where it's so awesome and it's coming together. Like, you know, do you feel his presence? Do you think about him? <laughs> I think about him always. Um, I, I have moments where I feel his presence. Um, I, 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 I write him, I talk to him. Um, I wish he could talk back. Um, but I know he's listening and I know he's watching Um, you know, um, I, this sounds, I don't know how it sounds. I don't really care how it sounds. Um, the first day that my legs turned over, you know, as I say, three to four weeks beforehand, um, a cardinal flew right in front of me. I'm on that run. Um, and I've had runs where Cardinal has, has, has literally run along beside me. Um, and, um, sometimes, you know, I mean, people who know, know, so, you know, that the, and those that don't hopefully will someday, you feel a presence. Um, and, um, and yes, um, he's a part of every run. Um, he's, he's, he's in my pocket. I have a charm. Um, he races with me. He doesn't do every run with me. He actually skis with me every time I ski. Um, but he races with me every time I race, he gets, um, pinned into a pocket. Um, so, um, yes, he's there. Yes. I talk to him. Um, I, I, you know, the week before I, every run said, come on, dad, we're going, we're going to Boston. We're going back. Um, so, um, yes, yes. And yes. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. That was beautiful. Um, and look, it's, uh, it's so important, you know, that we have people like that in our life and, um, that's my mom for me and I'm lucky to still have her, but you know, she, he's not with you, but to have him there on those in the charm and in those moments, and maybe when you're scaling some part of the course or even still, you know, as you're making your way through, you know, cardinals and birds, you know, as you're like running and doing a workout, um, what a blessing. Um, and, you know, that's, that's what it's all about, you know, holding on to that connection and never letting it go. Um, because, 
you know, man, you have to think about how proud would he be knowing <laughs> he beat Joni's record. I mean, she's a le- she's the all time legend of Boston. I mean, she's not just a legend of Boston; she's a she's an institution in running. I mean, there is no one higher than Joni, um, and she's just the best of the best as far as people um, with giving with her time. Um, and in the community and being in the booths and signing stuff and taking pictures with people and um, just such an inspiration. Um, and not just to women, my God. I mean, um, men have always looked up to what she's done in running and, and you know, what a competitor she is. Yes, yeah, she's a, she's a, she's a, she's an extraordinary woman and she's been such a great leader um, and trailblazer for women Um you know, not, not just in sport, just in, in, in general, but, um, and she's an extraordinary athlete still to this day. Um, and, you know, she holds the American record in the marathon still at 302. So, um, for the, for this division, um, I think she got that. I know she got it at Berlin. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, Tommy Ribs, who I know you, you know, um, you have something right behind you. Um, he, he did a um, segment with um, Rich Roll on um, where he talks um, poignantly on um, about being on the other side, if you will, um, and how they're right here. They're right beside us. Um, and um, I just I believe that. I just I believe that. It's, it's so powerful. Um, and you have to have had that connection with someone to, to feel it. Um, and it's tangible and it's real and, um, it inspires you to keep doing what you're doing today. I have no doubt, um, some additional records that you might shoot for or go for, you know, somewhere in the back of your mind, you're thinking, you know, I'm going to make my dad proud. You're going to make yourself proud too, of course, and your kids and your husband and people who, follow you in the running community but at the end of the day there's always somebody who is that first person that first slot for me it's my mom you know for you it sounds like it's your dad you know that you're going to keep driving and pushing um to get the most out of yourself to keep being the best version of heather that you can be um yeah i could go i could go on and on he's definitely been at the central figure um with all due respect to my husband um the love of my life so yeah. I mean, they're, they're, it's different kinds of loves and it's different kinds of energies that we share and um, motivations and ambitions and um, goals we set. And, you know, look, it's, it's just different um, from uh, we talked before coming on the air about my mom in the park and um, encouraging us to be tough and, and be feisty in battle um, and have that spirit, you know, to be competitive and to mix it up and, you know, to see what you're doing and continuing to do. Um, you know, now, you know, you have that record, you know, you've run three hours in Indy, you have Joni mentioned 302, like what other big things are you going to look at now, you know, moving forward, like something that's really going to get the juices flowing for you, something you're really going to take a big swing at? Um, well, largely I want to take a big swing at running for another 30 years, (laughs) Um, plus, um, I just hope that I can do that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's the real joy. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm a competitor and I want to run fast and I, I, you know, I certainly want to win and I want to, you know, take records, but records are meant to be broken. 
Um, and you know, they're not forever. And, um, you know, um, the, the plaques on the wall don't, don't mean a lot. Um, you know, it's who we are as people. And, um, I hope I'm inspiring a, a, a generation. And, um, I just, I, I think my goal is to lead by example, to demonstrate that hard work matters, um, that um, showing up, being kind, and that maybe our best is still in front of us. Um, and I, I, I think that can take on a different meaning at different times. Um, you know, um, maybe you're not going to run what you ran in your thirties. Um, and, um, but that doesn't mean that your best isn't still out there. It's just a different best. Um, and I just think, I, 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 I think we should be striving and working towards something. I think it gives us purpose. Um, and, um, I think that the possibilities for us are endless if we continue to to sort of live like that by that. Love it. Um, it leads me into something I've wanted to talk about as well. Um, as we get older, as we age, um, it's not always easy to run the, our fastest times. In your case, you still actually are, which is remarkable. It's amazing. And it, yeah, it inspires the hell out of people, it inspires me, but it also inspires a lot of younger people too, college age kids, high school age kids, and everywhere in between. Certainly those trials and miles, 20 and 30 year olds were inspired. I saw all sorts of comments, you know, after you ran with them that day in that race. But one of the things that can help us as we, you know, age and our goals become different in our 40s and our 50s and our 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s even, it's people are running track meets at 100, is age grading. And to be a really competitive club runner, you know, let's say in New York City or Connecticut or Long Island or wherever you live, if you're scoring in the 70s, you're a really good competitive club runner. And if you're scoring in the 80s, you're a really good nationally ranked competitive runner. And if you're scoring in the 90s, it's world class. And what your score was in Boston is just so completely insane. I want you to just tell everybody what it was because it just... You know, 90 is where world-class starts, 9-0. Okay, what was your score in Boston for your 303? 99.88. And what was it age-graded? What was your age-graded time for the marathon? 215. 215. So for all of the Masters runners out there that are listening, this is just another way, you know, that you can play with your own motivations. Um, If, you know, you ran whatever, a 130 half is your PR, and now you can only run 143. Um, and I shouldn't say only, that's a terrible uh, choice of adjective. Now you're running 143 versus 130. That 143 might age grade to a faster time than your 130 based on what your age is. So you yes. have to find ways, all of us do, to motivate ourselves. And that's either as the athlete, and you have a, an unusual role because not only are you an athlete and a terrific one at that and doing amazing things as a master's runner, but you're also a coach and then you're also coached. So it's like a three door scenario, right? So you have your own athletic pursuits and purpose and, you know, setting up your goals. And then you have James is coaching you, but then you're coaching your own athletes. So um, talk a little bit about that, like helping your athletes that you coach 
um, kind of with their goals versus let's say how maybe you and James had that discussion about not being so open and putting things out there maybe so much because um, it might apply pressure. How do you help your athletes in that regard? Um, I will answer that quickly that I think one of the best ways is to stay present, to stay acutely and intentionally focused on where you are and what you're doing right now and not letting it get bigger than that. And I do work with my athletes a lot on that. Um, and you, you know, I mean, the, the, certainly running in the marathon is a metaphor for life, but you know, we've all heard stay in the mile you're in, or, you know, the 400 that you're in or, um, you know, but, um, it's really, really important, um, to practice that. Um, and we can practice it in so many different ways. We can practice it on an easy run. We can practice it in intervals. We can practice it, you know, uh, you know, in, in a variety of ways, you know, with striders and hill repeats and, you know, so forth and so on, you know, long before you get to a race, but it's that, that's just a really important piece. Um, and it's an important piece in, in, in goal setting too. I mean, I, you know, the, the way I like to, you know, I wrote my athletes in December on um, and asked them to put together and I headed it. I, I, I titled it as, you know, who do you want to be? And that's just something I ask my athletes a lot. And I ask myself, you know, and sometimes I ask myself, who do you want to be today? <laughs> um, and then who do you want to be tomorrow and how are you going to get there? Um, but those are important things for us to ask ourselves and then, you know, to really look at the process. I mean, if, you know, runners, we're so type A, we just, we just, you know, we want to win. We want to go fast. We're, you know, I, and I have athletes and, you know, myself and I, that's why I don't want to answer, you know, it's, you know, I got to run sub four. I got to run sub three. I got to run sub 90. I got to, you know, I got to this, that, whatever, you know, it's, it's so outcome and it's so, and those things are so finite and so many things have to come together that are controllables and they're uncontrollables to have that happen. You know, and um, and in the case of a marathon, if you're not Ron, you and you're more like me, you get one or two shots a year. So, um, you know, you don't have, you know, if you're running a, you know, if you're a miler in high school or you're, you know, a 5K, you can, you can, you can you know, step on the line a lot more frequently and maybe you get more opportunities. Um, but um, if that's your only motivator, you, you I hate the word fail, Ron, and I, I always sort of hesitate and, and, and just pause before I say it. I, I do believe that that is where success comes from and where we learn and grow and, um, and that it is, it's a part of the process and it has to happen. Um, but if our only goal or if our big goal, and it's so big that we can't see the other pieces becomes, you know, uh, a sub three marathon. And I'll use that because that seems to be the Holy grail for whatever reasons. Um, then we're going to be disappointed a lot. We're going to be disappointed a lot. Um, and I, I don't like to be disappointed a lot. Um, and I don't like my athletes disappointed a lot. And I don't like my children disappointed a lot. Now, as I said, we have to fail 
And we have to risk a little and reach a little, and we have to set goals that are not necessarily easily attainable. I don't think we should set false goals, but you know, we should set things that require work and that we need to reach for. Um, and sometimes we have to believe in something that we can't quite see. And we have to believe enough, which brings me back to this sort of intentionally staying focused in the present, in what we're doing every day. And we have to believe that that's a component and a piece of what we need. And, and you know, it's, it's pieces of a puzzle. And, and you know, there's thousands of pieces, 5,000 pieces. I don't know how many pieces. We all probably have different puzzle sizes for all I know. Um, but it, it, it's playing with them. It's nuanced. Um, it's, um, it's, 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 it's trying something, having that not work and trying something else. Um, it's, it's staying curious. It's staying interested. It's staying engaged. Um, it's, um, you know, it's so many of those things and you need to find those things. And I really believe you need to write them down and say them out loud and own them. And so, you know, when I say to James, don't say, you know, I, I do believe we need to talk and we need to say things out loud. And, and because once we put them out there, they become real, <laughs> really real. <laughs> um, and, and in that, they make us accountable to the work. Um, and I think that that is important. And that's why I start with my athletes. I want them to write it down. So I ask them, who do they want to be? And I want them to think about sort of from my, you know, from my, my from my business career on, um, you know, in a one year, three year and five year plan, what are we looking at? What's the A goal? What is that big, you know, sort of outcome? Um, and it can be, it doesn't have to be a time. It can be, I want to run the, you know, I I, I want to, you know, I want to run, you know, Big Sur. It can be, I want to do the Abbott World Majors. It can be, I, you know, I, you know, I want to run my local 5K. It can be, I want to get off the couch and run a mile. It can be whatever you want it to be. And it can certainly be, I want to run, you know, 8354, which I have somebody who wants to run that this week. You know, it could be any of those things. Um, and then how are, what do we need to do to get there? And then there's what I refer to as all these one percenters. And um, and it, if we can put those down and we can really work at them, you know, every day. So I'm working at a bunch of things, you know, every day and I'm and 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 I'm failing at some of them. So sometimes it, that piece of the puzzle doesn't fit into my day today. Um, but I had that happen to me, you know, on Monday and yesterday I, I, I did two pieces to make, you know, so again, we make choices and, um, and if we own it and we write it down and we know that, um, we need to start strength training and we know that we don't have time and we don't like it, but maybe we're going to start with one, one day a week and we're going to do 20 minutes and that's all we're going to do. And then we need to recognize and give ourselves, we need to recognize and we need to, we need to, we need to applaud ourselves. We need to celebrate that we did that. 
Um, and we need to give ourselves a little grace when we don't do it because life gets in the way, whether it be the kids or the job or the, you know, whatever our my, you know, my Monday and, you know, so forth. And, and then we need to pick back up the next day and not allow it to slip and then slide, if you will. Um, so, and, and these, these, these little one percenters, whether it be nutrition or whether it be fueling and the, to me, those are two different things and we can take a deep dive if you want into that, but those are two very different things. Um, whether it be um, activation, mobility, flexibility, strength, and those are all very different things. Um, whether it be, um, that, you know, I, you know, the, the, the dynamic or the static, um, you know, stretching, whether it be hydration, whether it be electrolytes, whether it be, you know, um, I'm going to take some time and devote it to, you know, to sports psychology, to mindset, um, and, you know, and, and, and then, you know, what am I going to do with that? And how am I going to do that? And how am I going to practice that? You know, it, 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 and that's not an easy piece. So I sort of, you know, I, I put that on the side because some of these easy, some of these other ones are very easy to sort of check the boxes, if you will. I did that. You know, I drank 70 ounces today. The mindset piece is a little bit harder as to how you're doing that and how you're practicing that and how you're laying that out. Um, but you need to give yourself credit for the for the steps in the process that you're making. You need to acknowledge what you've done, we need to be much more, we need to, I find that we as humans or may, I don't know, may, we, we tend to, to, to recognize what we didn't do and not what we did. So I think we need to really stay focused on what we can do. And this is part of where injury and, and this is what I practiced for seven months. Um, and was patience and impatience in the in the art of injury and the isolation and the pain, both physically and emotionally. And I made very concrete choices and decisions about what I was going to do um, every day to stay engaged and 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 to do what I could do and not to and not to um, labor on what I couldn't do, which was a lot and largely the one thing I wanted to do um, and embrace some of what I could do and literally find gratitude in that. And there were days where I wrote down and I had a gratitude list, which I think is candidly the stupidest thing. And I kept it on my kitchen counter because I had to look at it. I had to look at it to see what I was grateful for because I was, I was angry and I was lonely and I wanted to run and I was, and, and particularly as I started to run walk and I got through October and then I got, had this reactive stuff happening and I was getting, you know, shut down or I was on the side of the road and I couldn't turn my legs over. And, you know, I just ran a marathon at a six, you know, 59 pace or whatever. I, I, in January, I couldn't run 10 thirties with people. I want people to know that in January, I could not run 1030. I have athletes of mine that were with me that witnessed that and that stayed with me and ran that with me. And I have so much gratitude for that. And that was what was on the gratitude list that, that, that Julie turned around and saw me behind her, stopped, came back and then ran 1030 pace with me. 
didn't say anything, just did it. And, you know, and, and Heidi showed up and, and, and did that with me. And I have high school kids that are running division one boys that did that with me. That was my gratitude. That was my, that was what I could do that day or what they did. And I think, so I, I, you know, I think that's the part, you know, in the process that we need to hold on to and find. And I think it's much easier to just, oh my God, I can't run or I'm running so slowly or whatever. I mean, I could have just gotten stuck right there very easily. Um, and, um, and then you sort of, you know, you embrace your inner mermaid and, you know, whatever. So, you know, so with my athletes, you know, that it, in, and injury is a part of being an athlete. So we want to minimize it, but it's going to happen. So it's going to happen to all of us. And, and, and those of you that haven't had it happen, it's coming. <laughs> so, um, so um, you, you need to, you know, you, you, so, you, so you sort of need to lay these things out and then we need to adapt and pivot and, you know, um, and, you know, we need to try something and have it not work and try something else. I mean, James and I did a lot of that in, in December and January, you know, we started some marathon training, pulled me out, dropped me into some wicked short top speed stuff that just to see if we could get my, we were just, we, we were stabbing in the dark, trying to figure out what was kind of going on with me and how we could, you know, get my legs turning over again. Um, and there were periods where I thought I might not run. I might not run fast. Um, and, um, you know, whatever, but anyway, back to, you know, we, so the, so the goals change. So the goal at that point for me was to run. And hopefully to run pain-free and then, you know, hopefully maybe to run fast. And, um, you know, so my overarching goal is to run, as I said, for, for, for a long time, Ron, for you and I to run for another 30, 40 years. That's, that's my second goal is to run fast as fuck and chase down world and American records. I love it. Um, there's so much in there to um, to dive into. So um, I think the big takeaways in there are staying present, um, whether you're the athlete yourself or you're the coach with the athlete or it's James coaching you. Any, in any of those three scenarios, it's staying present because it allows you to stay grounded, whether you're the coach with the athlete, the athlete who's struggling to get back out there and get healthy. I mean, you shared some really powerful stuff in there. You're, you're barely able to run 10 minute, 30, 11 minute pace. Um, and then a few months later, you're running sub seven minute pace for 26.2 miles on the Boston marathon course. So, um, that's powerful. Um, recognizing that people helped you and slowed up and waited for you to run 10 minute and 30 second pace or whatever. It doesn't really matter what that pace number is. We're team Coros, man. We've got the orange bands on. I, I noticed your watch over there. So it doesn't really matter what it says. Um, the fact is we notice things like that. So our friends who are willing to slow down for us when we're trying to get ourselves back and become who we want to be, um, you respect and love them that much more. But most importantly, you have to go into this day by day, moment by moment scenario. If you don't, 
you're going to just be overwhelmed right away. Well, how am I ever going to run the way I used to? No, you, you can't allow the waves to come over the top. But by staying in it by day or even by workout or by strength session or whatever, you're not looking too far out. You have one singular focus of what am I supposed to do today? What am I going to do today? What are my goals for this day? And write out, like you said, your gratitude list. Sure, you were angry. Sure, you wanted to run. Of course you were. But by taking the time to write those things out, you were helping yourself to manage that situation, which was incredibly difficult. And you were recognizing people who were helping you. And that was building your gratitude for when you did start to get your health back and you did start to get able to get runs in that were pain-free. And uh, I love how you said you were trying to stab through the dark of trying to work through it, like what you were going to do, because sometimes that's what it takes, right? Whether James is coaching you or you're coaching the athlete, you don't know what's going to work. You're just trying to figure it out. Like, hey, let's take a shot at this. Let's see what happens. So, um, you know, I think that's, um, there's just so much, there's so much in there. Um, And it's remarkable that that late in the game, you were just getting back and just getting your health back and you were running that slowly in your runs, but you were starting to make progress. You were starting to move forward. And it's it's a remarkable story of resilience for sure. Um, and I like to lead, I like to read a piece actually um, that, you know, I think um, recently you were on Matt's podcast again on Rambling Runner. I think you've been on there before. And James wrote like an intro, you know, James McCurdy, your coach. And I just, I don't know James that well. I met him once down in Houston um, for the Houston Marathon and Half Marathon I was running that weekend. Um, I've had a number of his athletes on the show, a lot of respect for him as a coach runner and what he's doing with McCurdy. But I read this and for somebody I don't know, it just moved me. So I thought it'd be fun to share it. So this is what James wrote. If all we do was acknowledge the time on the clock, we'd be giving a standing ovation. If all we did was acknowledge that a record was broken and that the impossible had been accomplished, we'd be celebrating for weeks and then life would move forward as it does. But the reality is what Heather Knight-Peck accomplished in the Boston Marathon is far more than her finished time of 303.47. It's far more than winning the age group division 60 to 64 record, and it's certainly far more than breaking the record held by Joan Benoit Samuelson. It's been three years since Heather last finished Boston, a race that lives in her soul. It's been a bit over one and a half years of injury that left Heather wondering if her best was behind her. But the success Heather found on Monday isn't found in the result. It's in the in-between time where the story is truly told. The injury, the heartbreak, the self-doubt, the loneliness of not being able to do what she is so clearly meant to do. But to know Heather is to know what it means to not give up, to know what it means to demand the very best, to know what it means to love with all that you are. Heather fought her way through this hard time, but she wasn't alone. She found the best doctors for therapy. She found shoulders to lean on with her family and friends. She found inspiration from her athletes while self-doubt crept in. She surrounded herself with believers, leaving her no choice but to believe in herself. When Heather stepped on the starting line, she left all the self-doubt behind her. She knew what she could do. She was patient, and she ran the race of her life. That's pretty awesome stuff. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, those are nice. Those are, those are very, very nice words. Um, I can't, um, it's, it's hard. It took me a while to respond to that note that he wrote. Um, and of course it was public and I don't know, would you like me to read what I responded to? Sure. That'd be great. I'd love it. Uh, Let's see if I can find that. It took me a while, um, to respond to that. Um, but I love, um, as I said, we had a, we had a talk on Saturday, he and I, um, 
before before Marathon Monday. Um, and, um, you know, he, he gave me hope that day. And so that's the response that, that I wrote to him. Um, so what I wrote was what a long, strange trip it's been. When I was scared to start, you firmly pushed. When I couldn't find my legs, you steeled me. When the training wasn't working, we pivoted. When I was actually crying on the side of the road, you heard me. When I was angry at you, you listened. When I didn't think I could race, you stayed quiet, neither confirming nor denying. When I realized I could toe the line, you were 100% all in. You honored my wishes and remained quiet, not the easiest thing for you to do. And finally, when we got to Boston, and I was filled with gratitude simply just to be here, you gave me the power of hope. I was never so calm or confident as I was on Monday at 10 a.m. There were no cobwebs to shake off, even though it had been so fucking long. I was ready. Thank you. That's beautiful, too. I love it. Um, and thank you for sharing that response back because I had not seen it. So I appreciate you um, sharing that. And, you know, the coach-athlete relationship is it's sacrosanct. It's just so powerful. And when real trust is there and it's established and it's built over time, we can have the hard conversations. We can say the difficult things that we might not even say to our own husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend or even our children. Um, we can have those conversations because they require that kind of transparency. They require telling, you know, the coach from the athlete side, I, I don't think I can do this workout. And then there's that moment when you can become the voice to tell them they can or believe, give them that self-belief that they so sorely need. Um, they maybe are close to having it. They're maybe really close to believing it, but they just need to hear that voice from you, James, or anyone else out there that has that power as a coach in the coach-athlete relationship. So I just think it's super powerful. And obviously you could coach yourself. You are a coach. Um, but taking that step as a runner frees you. Um, it allows you, it takes the pressure off of you to worry about what workouts you're actually building. And uh, are you going to go up or down in mileage? Are you going to have this workout be this many weeks in or out? Are you going to throw a couple of more races in there? Um, how much do you think that helps you, someone who's used to being the leader, being the CEO for 28 years in the corporate world, in the business world, managing people, leading teams, being in charge, and just being someone who's really good, um, really successful? How much do you think it helps you to have someone else take that responsibility for you and let you just focus on your own running? Well, I think you said it really well, Ron. I, I mean, I, I, yeah, I coached myself for a long time. I coached myself to my first two Boston wins. Um, the, it freed me in a way I can't really describe, but you, you did, it, it, it freed, it freed me to, to do the work. Um, um, it, um, the trust is built over time. Um, and certainly, you know, he and I have had robust dialogues. I won't say that we haven't, but I actually think that that's good and you should have, and I enjoy them having them with my athletes um, because I think it, it, it gives us the opportunity to really take a deeper dive into the thought process of what it is that, that, that we're thinking or doing. 
Um, and you, 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 you may uh, dig your, he, he, and he has dug his heels in. And I, as I have dug my heels in with my athletes and other times it is, it has had us pivot, um, and made us, you know, look at something a little bit differently. Um, and, you know, data is wonderful and, you know, periodization and, you know, you know, and building plans and having, um, you know, ideas and, and concepts of builds and so forth, but, without the feedback from an athlete um, of what is really happening, how they're feeling and, you know, and understanding how they're recovering um, and what else is going on in their lives. So without having that relationship, that deeper relationship, it really, it, it, I, I won't say it can't result because, you know, certainly any intentional training will result in something. But um, but it won't result in in what could be <laughs> if you don't take the time um to invest in that relationship um and um and but mostly it gave you know at, at once the trust was developed it gave me the opportunity to be <laughs> to simply be. <laughs> And, um, and, and to do, um, and then you do it in a deeper, in a deeper way is, is, is all I can say. And, you know, and, 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 you know, and it's, it's a wonderful thing to have someone in your corner. It's nice to have your, my, my children and my husband, um, and, um, and, and, and my dad, but, you know, it's, it's another thing to have somebody who really understands, you know, and, and my girls and my husband do understand what I do, but they, but they don't understand on the level that James does. And, you know, and my athlete spouse or children don't understand on the level that I do. So you have a partner, um, and, um, and there's something really, you know, powerful in that. And, um, and I do believe that it gives us a sense of confidence, um, you know, assuming that it's the right partner, <laughs> um, it, that it gives us a sense of confidence to, to not only do the work, but to, to, to mm-hmm. challenge ourselves and to step into that, you know, be willing to get into the uncomfortable, um, and to go somewhere that maybe, you know, we as humans don't readily do that. So that's where this, you know, I, as I say, believe in something that maybe you can't quite see yet, but maybe maybe your coach does, and and thereby you on um, you'll you know that workout that scares you on paper, and that you think you can't do. Um, well, if you have a really good coach, they're not going to give you something that you can't do, but just the idea that they've given it to you, um gives you the opportunity to do it. It's kind of wonderful. Yeah, it's it's powerful stuff. When we're free, we do our best. Yeah. When we're free on the course to run, when we've uh, taken off the shackles of even expectations, whether we're putting them on ourselves, our families putting them on, our coach, other athletes, we think that we're quote unquote competing against, blah, blah, blah. I mean, when we free ourselves from those things and just truly run, we're always going to be at our best. Um, when we're but in the moment. Most of us overthink things. Yeah. 
you know, we all we overthink things. So it's nice. I, you know, I never look at I, I I tell him this often. So sometimes he'll change something and I'll say, well, wait a second. What did you do? Because I don't look ahead. So I just know I'm going to run two hours. <laughs> I don't need to look ahead, um, you know, and um, I have, you know, my routes and what. I, so I know, you know, so once I look at it, I know where to go and what. You, I, so I don't spend a lot of time which certainly I did when I was doing it for myself, but now I don't. Um, and, and there's something, you know, wonderful about that, but it also says to you that I do trust him because I don't, I don't look ahead. I don't, oh, I don't overthink it. I just go do it. Um, so I don't spend the week worrying about Saturday's workout. <laughs> yeah. You're, you talked about staying present way back before, and that's a great guiding principle. Um, yes, as a CEO, you're asking people for one, three, and five-year plans. And what does your business unit look like? And what's growth? And where are we going to go? And how are we going to get to these objectives? All of that is great. You've learned and amassed all of that over your business career in 28 years. But with running, man, you got to make things simple and dumb and so basic that it's just about get out the door, hit the watch, and go. Um, and if your focus becomes only when do I need to take my gels, when do I need to take my bottles in a race itself versus being so hung up on 640, 648, 650, where do I need to be at mile 10? Um, we're probably going to hold ourselves back. If we focus on the steps, like you talked about, just when do I need to get this fuel in the bottles? You have the opportunity now as an elite runner. Are you using bottles? I know you're with, you can. Are you using bottles? Are you using gels? Like what's your combination? Because I know fueling has been a big thing for you that you've nailed and gotten together. And also nutrition, your own, like how you're eating, how you're doing things differently in that regard. Like how, how are you approaching Boston? Is it bottles, liquids only, or is it gels? Like, or is it a combination? It's a combination and it depends on the race for me, Ron. And, and, you know, and, you know, in India, I have bottle placement in Boston. I don't, you know, so it depends on, you know, where I I carried a handheld in Boston was the answer in Boston, but I, it depends on what I'm doing and where I'm doing it. But um, I, you know, nutrition is something that we, that, that we do to train and fueling is something that we do to compete, to race, to race. Um, and, and they are two different things Um, but, um, you know, one of the things that I've struggled with, and I think many people have struggled with back in the day, you know, I didn't, I didn't think I could eat before I ran because I might upset my stomach, you know, and whatever. And I say this and I'm rolling my eyes as I'm saying it, because it's just the dumbest fucking thing (laughs) anyway, you know, 10 years ago, you know, but, um, I'm certainly a long way from that. I, you know, I wouldn't run without you know, without putting something in my system. Um, but, um, I, I am a, a you know, I, I am a, you can athlete. I, I use, you can, I love, you can, it's actually the favorite part of my day is my protein and energy shake, um, that I have post run. Um, and that was part of my carb loading routine. Yeah. And I use, you can as a as energy or super starch, if you will, as, as my preload. And that's, and that's, that's how I go out and run, really every day because I'm, I'm running for more than 60 minutes usually every day. So, um, and then, you know, I have, you know, a mix of, you know, of gels again, depending on what I'm doing, um, as far as, you know, food goes, I've struggled with getting the right level of carbohydrate into me because 
I eat real food, single ingredient, locally sourced and organic if possible. Um, I stay away from a bag in a box always. Um, and I am gluten-free. I don't touch dairy and I don't touch processed sugar. So I take sugar in through fruit. Um, and I eat a lot of sweet potatoes and, you know, there's a lot of carbs in vegetables in my oatmeal and, you know, whatever, but I hate bananas. Um, so, um, I, and I hadn't eaten bread or pasta or rice or anything for years. Um, but this particular cycle, um, I started eating gluten-free rice um, with my sweet potatoes. And that's basically what I ate with some bananas, which again, I hate bananas, um, for three days to carb load. Um, I had never efficiently carb loaded before. So I think that that was a big, I think that was a big piece in my success on, on April 18th. Um, I, I took in 400 grams of carbohydrates Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, um, which was a lot. I did it through a mixture of food and drink. Um, you know, as I said, I was rotating shakes and, you know, I was, I was drinking some of the carbs because I simply couldn't eat them all. Um, but, um, you know, and then you sort of my pre race, you know, routine is my pre run routine. So it's pretty set. You know, I do a gluten-free oatmeal. Um, I do some, you can almond butter. Um, I used to do strawberries, but now I do do a half a banana. Um, and, um, that's about as much of banana I can get in me, but, um, I, I've made progress again, you got to keep trying and you got to sometimes do some things you don't want to do or don't like to do. Um, and, um, I got in five gels. My goal was six. Um, I actually forgot my last one on beacon. I, I, I think that also probably was a problem for me on beacon might've been part of why I was feeling as I started to push down. I'm not sure, but I will continue to work on that. We're all a work in progress. Um, but getting those calories in and, and definitely, you know, in Indy, that was the first time I had gotten in, I think I got in 600 calories in Indy. And that was, I mean, Ron, before that, I mean, in, in 2017 and 2018, if I got two gels in me, I, I mean, I think I'd be lying if I told you I got three, I think maybe I got two or and I think I had like half a muffin that morning or something. I, I don't even, I don't even remember. I'd have to go back in my journals and look, but that has been something I've been, I've been working on. So, um, I definitely got my carb number up Um, you know, protein has not been a problem. I'm, I'm a huge proponent that women need more protein than men. As we age, we need even more protein. So, you know, making sure that we're getting protein on, um, you know, I, you know, I, 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 try to do fish, chicken, and meat in that order. Um, I happen to be somebody who likes red meat, so I don't have a pro, you know, I don't have a problem there. Um, you know, making sure we're getting the right fats. Um, and you know, the good fats, um, avocado, olive oil, nuts, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and, um, you know, I, I believe that again, depending on the level of athlete you are and what your intention and your goal is, you should have your blood work done two to three times a year. You should be looking at your iron, your vitamin D and B. You should have your macronutrients run once or twice a year. I do it even though I know exactly what I'm eating because we continue to poke holes in it. 
and I need to tweak and bring this up a little and this down a little and, you know, whatever. And that's what we found in January when we ran my numbers. And so I really worked really hard January, February, and March in making sure that my numbers had a better balance than, than what they did. It wasn't that I was eating, you know, the wrong food or bad food or whatever. It was just, it was just sort of the balance of it. Um, and, um, so those are some of the things, you know, as I said, strength, you know, those are the little things that really do make a difference. And at this point for me, I'm looking for half a percent, but, you know, imagine if we all, you know, picked up two or three half percenters, what an impact it can have. Um, and it's fabulous that you shared, um, only getting two gels in initially, eating half a muffin or, you know, really having very little in terms of calorie content and what the mix was um, from there to now where you're paying such careful attention to it and monitoring it and getting five gels in versus six. Absolutely. One more gel, you know, that hundred calories, the sugar, whatever it is that's going into our bloodstream. It could be just enough to give us that little bit of juice, you know, when we're at the end and maybe fire us over, you know, to find like one other gear. Um, so it's great that you're paying that careful attention and you've made those changes with you, Ken. Are you doing the blood work and the testing with Inside Tracker or are you using somebody else? No, I did my I do mine through my GP. Okay, great. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. the most important thing is that you're getting the regular blood work and you're looking at your numbers and you're paying careful attention to it. Um, that's, that's what really matters because as you make these changes and what you're putting in, in terms of solids and liquids and um, the super starch and all these other things um, that you, you know Jen you can has um, to be able to add to oatmeal or parts of your meal or shakes. Um, it's all changing. You know, once it goes down the hatch, if you will, you know your composition and uh, your energy levels and uh, your ability to perform. So great that you're uh, paying such careful attention to that because that's going to be uh, a game changer for you as you continue to evolve. There, um, I had I had I had four hundred grams of carbohydrates before I started running on April 18th. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, so I'm assuming it had to be like some sort of dense oatmeal and then you're putting in like the super starch and, yeah, um, and yeah. like uh, yeah, some, as I said, I'm eating and drinking it. I'm not, it's not, you know, it's not coming, you know, I'm, I, yeah, you know, I'm not yeah. just, just eating it, but, um, that's, um, that's a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. Now, how many hours before? I'm curious about that. How many hours before your start in Boston did you consume the the 400? Um. Well, I probably started. I was done 45 minutes before. Okay. I wasn't consuming anything anymore at that point. Um. Maybe I mean 40, 30 to 45 minutes before. But I was starting. You know. I mean, it it it, it happened over two hours. It didn't, it didn't happen over four hours. So, but I have trained. That is, that is the work I was doing. You know, I've actually been doing for now two or three years. I mean, granted I was injured for a while, but this started in really serious in 2019 and certainly through 2020 and then 2021, I was injured. So I had two years of training and then, you know, I had to get really serious you know, I started in January, but I wasn't running really what, you know, I mean, I wasn't running that much um, volume or certainly wasn't running, you know, any kind of, you know, long marathon workouts. 
um, until probably about, you know, mid to end February. And those weren't going very well. But at that point, I was practicing this. So I had a good solid eight weeks. Um, but I'm making sure I'm practicing every day. And I think that that's also something that's that's different. So, you know, I'm making sure that I'm taking in, you know, maybe I'm not taking in what I would take in for that long Saturday run or Sunday run. Um, but I'm making sure that I take in my midweek workout. I do the same as my weekend, even though I'm not running as long. And I'm making sure that I am preloading every run to some degree. So I, so I, so again, it's, it's with intention every day, just the level of what I'm doing is, is changing. Yeah. I mean, you're training your gut is the simplest way to, to put it, um, to be able to get that amount in, to ingest it, however many hours it takes. If it took four hours before Boston that day, um, I think that's just as important as how much you ingested. It's that it was over four hours. Like, um, I'm amazed. No, but it wasn't. It was over two hours. Oh, two hours. Okay. Two hours. It was not over four hours. Got it. Okay. Nope. Well, thank you yep. for thank you for clarifying that. I think um it's one of the biggest things that's on the table for people improvement wise is getting that piece right. And I'm amazed how hard people will train and how much money people will spend flying into hotels and going to run a race and you know, come race morning, they're screwing around with not getting up hours early enough to just get all your stuff done, you know, to make sure you're not frantic and you're not rushing. And I think most importantly, as you said, not just on your long run journey, your mid long runs and other workouts, you're training your gut by doing this on a repetitive basis. This is not new. This isn't something that you're just finding out that morning because you're in Berlin or in Tokyo or some other city. Like you know what you're going to be eating, you know what you're going to be drinking. And that's a big piece of the puzzle. Yeah. And you, and, and you need to practice, you know, I went, I went to, um, I went to a race to watch some of my athletes. It was, it, it was about, I think it was actually two weeks out. It was, it was my last long run. Um, and it was up in Cheshire, Connecticut. It was about an hour away. And, you know, I intentionally practiced that day eating. I made the oatmeal at home and ate cold oatmeal. Um, because I, not because it tasted good or I wanted to, but because that might be the scenario on race day. And I wanted to make sure that I was ready to do that. Um, I was a genius the week before and realized that Amazon had a thing called a thermos. <laughs> and I could order it for $15 and make sure my oatmeal was warm. <laughs> But two weeks before, I wasn't so smart and thought I had to eat cold oatmeal. Anyway, um, but that just, again, the point being, you know, to practice, to know, I mean, I'm just surprised at how many people eat on, run on empty, you know, or, you know, haven't figured out, struggle with gels and haven't figured out that maybe they should be trying and experimenting with different gels or, liquid you know or some or something else but that they, they just the gels don't agree with me so that's it <laughs> um and um you know it's just it's it's startling to me and and how many athletes that you know i when they first came to me you know were also one and two gels and i don't know why it surprises me because i was that way too but um Anyway, it's a piece that people need to work on. And, and I, again, I think journaling is great. I think you need to write down 
you know, what you did when you did it. Um, I think routine is really good. I think that there's a tremendous amount of confidence in stepping onto the race starting line, feeling prepared. And I feel that feeling prepared comes from not only doing the work on, and, and I don't necessarily think a good build leads to a good race or a bad build leads to a bad race either, because certainly, and certainly, you know, my story is indicative of that as well. But I do think that there's something about being prepared and there's something about routine on that certainly aids in having you feel that confidence and that preparation. So knowing what dinner the night should be with, you know, I tell my athletes, you know, leading into Boston, particularly to, to, um, you know, to come with their food, not all their food and some people fly and whatever, but you know, the food that you can, meaning your, you know, your gels, your drinks, your, you can, your, your, your nutrition bars, your oatmeal, whatever, like pack it in a bag. And don't don't leave that to chance that, you know, star market won't have your flavor or whatever, um, you know, and I and I go to Boston with my chicken and my rice and my sweet potatoes and whatever all in Tupperwares. And and I just because if I can't find the right restaurant, then I'm just going to microwave from the Tupperware and eat what I know is going to work for me. And I'm not going to have sushi, even though I love it the night before. Well, you're controlling the variables and it's super important, particularly when you race international, like I just did in Barcelona, or if you're running Tokyo or Berlin or any of these other majors, you can't count on there being a Whole Foods in those cities or a market that's similar or has those kind of things, particularly. Um, yeah, so you pack a bag, right? Yeah. 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 That's yeah. it. People need to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I'm, uh, I'm there and I have celiac, so I have to eat gluten-free all the time. It's not just a choice of thinking it's healthy or whatever. I, I have to. Um, and you know, it's gotten easier over time, but one thing that you can manage and you said it beautifully is if you have your gluten-free oatmeal or your gluten-free granola or cereal or whatever it is you're going to have that morning, that's not on the table as a variable. You have it. If the only variable you have is, can they send you a microwave or can they send you a toaster oven or an electric, uh, boiler for tea or whatever those things are, you can check that stuff out with the hotel before you ever get on a plane. You can make those inquiries before you get there and make sure you'll have access to it. Every one of those restaurants, if you're staying in a, a nice hotel, um, every one of those kitchens obviously will have microwaves, to toaster ovens, et cetera. And if you have celiac and you're really concerned about it, um, you know, when I stayed at the Ritz in Berlin, they got me my own toaster and I'm not lying. They took it out of the box when I was there. Like we wanted to show you, we wanted you to understand that for this five nights that you're staying with us, that no one else will have access to this toaster. This is for you to put your gluten-free breads and whatever else you're going to have in there for the course of five nights. So pretty amazing. That's amazing. And that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, listen, we've covered a crazy cool amount of stuff about your running journey and what you've been doing, what you've been up to. And it's super inspiring and awesome. Um, one thing I always ask every guest before we leave is something that's important to them on the community service side, something that you've either done in the past or you're thinking of doing. Um, and it doesn't even have to be running related. It can be from you know your business life, but just something on the community service side that's important to you that you're engaged with. Um, I've been engaged over the years with, with Girls on the Run. I think it's a tremendous program. Um, I, um, you know, I contribute to it. Um, I've been involved in it when I've had time. Um, my daughter has launched it at her school, you know, it, so it's something as a family that we 
feel strongly about. I think it's a, I think it's a tremendous program on empowering you know girls not just to run but just in in tools and skills in how to manage um, life. And and it's it it's it's if you don't know about it, um, you should you know look into it um, and volunteer for it if you can. Um, and, um, you know, they also, they need money, um, you know, and so forth. I'm also involved in, in our local parks here. Um, and, um, and I'm hugely involved in the running community and racing community throughout, you know, my area here. Wonderful. Yeah. GOTR is great. Um, a lot of the moms who are on my episodes, um, are involved in their local chapters and, and get involved in that community. And, it's just such an important piece for um, younger girls with self-esteem and confidence. And um, it isn't even so much about the running itself, just getting together and, and uh, helping with confidence and all of those things that are important. And um, it's wonderful. And I know you do a lot within your local running community as well, which is great because we can all do more of that. Um, and we always feel better about ourselves when we volunteer, when we do community service. Um, we always get more back. I always say this to every guest. We get so much more back than we ever do with however much time we put in. We get so much more back in terms of how we feel about ourselves once the action um, or our service is, uh, is rendered. Um, so it's good. And that's why I always like to leave every show there. But um, I never leave a show without asking the guest, hey, we might have had one more important topic you wanted to talk about or something that's like top of mind for you that we didn't get to cover or maybe even something we covered earlier in the episode that you want to uh, discuss before we roll out because I want to give you that one last opportunity. The only thing I can think of is, and I touched on this, is sort of the, you know, the injury. I don't know if it taught me patience because I'm not very patient. But it it taught me awareness of patience, um, and it has helped me be more tolerant of patience. And it also that I don't want to waste precious time, and that time is a commodity. And I feel personally like I have less of it, hence a greater determination to be intentional with the time that I have. And gratitude for what I have right now and not to waste a moment. Um, and I think that that's an important, you know, lesson for everybody. Um, and that possibilities are endless. Great place to land it. Great message. Um, and just super inspiring. Um, getting to know more about you um, and all that your running uh, practice has meant to you. And all that it's going to mean going forward, not just your own running, but uh, as an athlete, which is super crazy inspiring, but also as a coach and the athletes that you're impacting and trying to help to accomplish their goals and focus on the important things, staying present um, and just getting it done day by day. Uh, running takes time. You have to be incredibly disciplined. It doesn't happen linear. It happens after cycle after cycle. Um, we learn so much more about ourselves when we fail and we get injured um, and we get hurt. Um, and then we get the opportunity to bounce back, which you did. And you run with more joy. You run with more gratitude. You run with more incredible happiness um, that you're been given your gift again, that you're back out there and you're healthy and you can be the best version of yourself. So um, I'm excited for everybody to hear your inspiring story 
And uh, I always close every episode telling everyone to keep lacing them up, to keep getting out the door, and to always remember to stay in the fight. Wow, that was such a powerful episode. And I could feel my energy levels rising as Heather just talked about her gratitude, that pure unalloyed joy of being able to do what she loves and is born to do. And for any of us that's ever suffered a long-term injury and been out for that length of time, uh, for an extended period of time, it really will make you question everything about yourself, whether you're ever going to get back out there. And even if you do, what version of yourself are you going to be? Um, just a few months earlier, she talked about running 10 minutes and 30 second pace and having some friends that really matter to her, training partners that really are meaningful to her, what it meant that they were willing to wait for her and slow down because she just couldn't go any faster at that point. And you turn the corner just a few weeks later and it all just came together. Uh, a magical story for sure, um, but one that's filled with relentless drive, hard work, grit, uh, and just uh, willing to just do whatever it takes to be the best. And uh, I, as, as I said to her in the conversation, I'll say again, I'm so inspired by Heather's uh, passion for the sport, her practice of running and what she puts into it and what she gives back uh, to the community. Um, cause it's, it's really, uh, it's special stuff. So I hope you all enjoy this one as much as we did. It's a wonderful conversation. I hope you, uh, learn a lot from it. Um, there's just so many powerful takeaways. So, uh, just keep doing what you're doing, my friends. If you get a moment and you can hop on there and write a, a review, um, and say something that you learned from Heather's episode or her drive or ambition, how she works about her craft, it's wonderful. It'll get more guests listening to our show, more people involved in, in the Run Chats community. And um, really, most importantly for me, it helps me get great guests like Heather be willing to come on the show and, and share uh, their inspiring stories. So let's just keep it all going, my friends. Keep lacing them up. Keep getting out the door. And always remember to stay in the fight. Peace out, my friends. <laughs>